James 1, beginning in verse 1 again. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. As we open another book of this this precious scripture of ours, this book of James, the very first matter that the Lord brings forward for us to consider is the matter of our faith and the testing of it. And that is a very fitting beginning to this book because over the next five chapters, we'll find that James will, in a very no-nonsense way, tell us how we must get up and get about our relationship with Christ. Else we might find that we, in reality, have no faith at all. He tells us in no uncertain terms that our relationship with Christ is a working relationship and not one in which we can simply get saved and then sit back and do little else more. He tells us that our relationship with Christ is one that is born out of faith. And as we're told in Romans chapter 1, it is faith from first to last, from faith to faith. And simply put, that faith is the most essential connection that exists between our own soul and the person of the Lord Jesus. Our faith is fundamental to every part of our continuing relationship with Christ. It's as vital to our soul as the air we breathe is vital to our life. Now I want to take a moment here at this beginning point of this study and rehearse words that we already know, but we need always to be reminded of them. From Hebrews 11, verse 1, we know that the definition God gives regarding faith is a simple one. He tells us simply that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Those are very simple words. They are very plain words. But we hear them and we think, what do they mean? What do these words mean? These words, simply put, faith must begin first. Not said here. But faith itself must, and the understanding of it, must begin first with the belief that God really does exist. And that He will bless and reward us if we diligently seek after Him. Now that's a simple thought. But a lot of people don't even believe that He exists. And if truth be known, sometimes you and I might have doubts. But He says these words in Hebrews eleven six: Without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For whoever draws near to God, listen, must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. We must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. 
Now, when he uses the word believe, it's a word not of the simple and general kind of belief that you and I often have. This kind of belief must be of the kind that is intense and has a fervor to it. One that is so strong that we will begin to actually trust that the things God promises here in His Word will really and actually come true. Now that's a different kind of belief than the belief that you have about other things. And so we'll need to take that into strong consideration as we consider the word faith. But if we do then somehow have that connection with the Lord to where we really do believe that that which He promises in this word will really come true, then we'll start to notice it taking place. So often it's after it takes place. So often we look back and we see that that which we had hoped for actually came true. But it'll start to take place. And it'll take place more and more often based upon us believing. How do I know that's true? Jesus said, be it according to your faith. If you believe it, it'll start to come true. That sounds rather mystical. But it's a truth. It's one of those secrets that God wants us to Understand, things that would not take place otherwise will begin to take place. Do you believe that? That's the question that's being asked here. Do you believe that? It's as these words here in Hebrews 11.1 1 tell us, God will begin to bring things that we used to only hope for into actual existence. That's what he means when he says that Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. He's saying that He will bring those things that we used to only hope for into actual existence. That through our faith in Him, God will bring that which is unseen, that which resides in that invisible realm where God is, into this visible realm of the seen this visible world that we live in. That through faith, the things that we once only hoped for suddenly become real. And so I ask you, do you believe that? That's the essence of what God's talking about here. But he tells us that that kind of faith will not come easily. It will not come easily. We're going to study here in James 1 for our faith to mature into the kind of relationship that God desires us to have with Him, our faith is going to have to be regularly tested, exercised, disciplined, sometimes painfully so. Listen again to these words. James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes who are dispersed abroad, greetings. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect results, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Now here we have the Apostle James. He's understood, by the way, to be the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. He's not the James that is the brother of John. Some have thought that he is another one of the Jameses, but historians 
pretty much are unanimous on him being the half-brother of the Lord Jesus. So, and, and by the way, he became the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Peter was the overall leader of the church, but in Jerusalem, James was the leader of that church. His personality is revealed to us. He has this no-nonsense kind of personality. Get straight to the point. Get about what you're doing and what you should be doing. He's that kind of man. Now, when I say that, I want us to always remember that the words that James gives to us here, though, those words were first breathed into James's mind by the Holy Spirit. That's what the word inspired means, that God breathed them into James's mind. And from James, then, they come out to us. They reveal his personality, but every word is the word of God, coming straight from the mind of God. I want us to also take note here in these words that the first assumption made is that we who are reading these words are all believers. We are believers, that we have at least the basic faith that's required for salvation. Why? It's because at least that much faith and more will be necessary, required, for us to endure the things that will be taking place in our lives. Recall that I mentioned a moment ago that God's prescribed way of our faith growing and being strengthened is for it to be used, exercised, put to the test. And often, and note here his words begin in a very odd way. He tells us that we should count it all joy when our faith is being tested. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials. One of the translations gives it. Now why should joy be our first response to circumstances that are so often painfully difficult? It's because we know that it is coming directly from God's hand. He's not talking here about trials that you and I somehow had something to do with. This is coming directly from God's hand. And you know also that Satan does not want our faith to grow. He wants us to be distracted. And we will often be distracted with very comfortable circumstances. Why? It's because it doesn't take much faith to relax and be comfortable. Faith grows when it's being tested. Only God wants our faith to grow. And it's His hand that's bringing these trying circumstances that he's talking about here. It'll also be his hand that'll bring us relief. Listen to this. And I want you to notice carefully the way that God tells us that it it is his hand that's always on us. This is Psalm 139, beginning in verse 5. You have enclosed me. This is the psalmist David talking to God. You have enclosed me behind and before... You've laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain to it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the dawn, if I dwell in the remotest part of the sea, even there, and listen, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand 
will lay hold of me. You and I need to be assured that this is what takes place in our trials. These trials that he's talking about here. God's hand is holding us, guiding us, and directing us. So in these words, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. That is why we can do that with great confidence. Now, in my English Standard Version, we're told, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. I really like the translation, another translation that translates that as count it all joy instead of consider. Why? This word count, in it, God gives us this presumed belief. We can count on it. A presumed belief. We can count it all joy because we know that it is His hand that's taking us through these struggles. And then He further accentuates that point with the next word. He says, when we encounter... That word encounter, I looked up the Greek word behind it, and it's a word that means falling into. It's not just walking up to or happening upon a trial. It is actually stumbling and falling into it. Now, yes, again, you and I can be the causers of our own problems. We can develop our own trials. But that's not what God's addressing here. He's specifically addressing those kinds of trials that he himself is going to bring to us. And then you and I, as he says here, we suddenly find ourselves falling into them, being malaffected by them in many ways. And what is going to be our response to them? Again, this is the perfect and loving hand of God the Father. And we are his sons and daughters. And He is guiding us and directing us into into and through problems. Let me address a matter. It's this word that we like to use when we talk about God and problems. We want to say God simply allows them. Well, God does allow certain things. But let me assure you that this is God's hand pushing us into it. This is God's hand directing us into this trial. Why? It's because this is His way of developing righteousness within us. He's a father and we are His children. What do you do with your children? Or what should you at least be doing with your children? Listen to this. This is Hebrews 12, verse 5. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Do not be weary when reproved by Him. For the Lord disciplines the ones He loves and chastises every son whom He receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as a son. For what son is there when whom His Father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which... Uh, all participate, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have earthly fathers who have disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they, our earthly fathers, disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But He, God, disciplines us for our good that we may share in His holiness. 
For the moment, discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But listen, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who are trained by it. Now those are loving words from a loving father. And it's the same with these trials that we're speaking about here in James chapter 1. We are to count it all joy because we know that if we endure, then we will then reap a a peaceful fruit and harvest of righteousness because we're trained by it. We're not to avoid it. We're not to avoid trials and difficulties and suffering. We so often try to do that, and we should not. And note here that God places a very high value on endurance. The endurance of these trials. Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, other translations will for this word endurance is patience and perseverance and steadfastness, and all those are correct. But the thing that takes place really is so much more important than us just putting up with it or outlasting it. God desires that we put our eyes on Him and be steadfast in our faith in Him, knowing that it is His hand at work. In other words, if we just hold our breath, hold our tongue, bear with the moment, then we probably will gain very little. Perhaps nothing at all. I want to convince us that you and I must ever and always know that it's God's hand that we are to look to because that's the hands that are on us as we go through these trials. And if we can do that, then we really will reap a harvest of righteousness from our trials. These words remind me of words over in Romans chapter 5 where we're told that We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that sufferings produce endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. The trials spoken about in our text and the sufferings spoken about here in Romans, they are the same. We, You and I are justified first by our faith But that's only the beginning. That's the beginning step. And God's plan is then to take that that basic faith that we have for that salvation and begin to mature it. And that's going to take sufferings. And you and I don't like that idea. We don't like the idea of sufferings having to come as a requirement of our relationship with Him. But I want to encourage you and me that... When these trials come our way, our response is to be like that of a soldier. A soldier who runs towards the battle. It's said here in one portion about the Lord Jesus, he chiseled his face towards Jerusalem, knowing that crucifixion was coming just ahead of him. You and I need to run towards that battle in these trials. We're to chisel our face forward. And we're to go ahead and get on about whatever that trial is that lies in front of us. Is that the way you approach trials? Let me suggest that it isn't normally because I don't like trials. But the Lord is sharing some of His 
secret wisdom that we talked about in Sunday school. He's sharing his secret wisdom with us. Now again, he places this high, high value on endurance. Verse 4, let endurance have its perfect results so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Listen, the prizes are only awarded to the ones who finish a race. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, Paul tells us, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? And so he tells us, run in such a way that you may win. And then in Hebrews 12, we read verse 1, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and listen, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Our endurance is so very, very important to God because it is only through endurance that we're able to finish the race that's set before us. Folks, listen. As I look at my age, I know that I only have a few years remaining in my race. I really do want to finish my race and finish it well. I want to, by faith, endure all that my race requires of me to the very end so that I'll not be ashamed as I stand there before the Lord Jesus to receive my prize. And he tells us what that prize is just a few verses later. It's the crown of life. But as we said a moment ago, none of this is easy. Sometimes at the very moment that we feel like we can see one of our dreams coming into being. Suddenly, some other trial comes our way. And then another one, and then another one. Sometimes those trials can be confusing. That's because sometimes we get too focused on our dream, on the prize that we're reaching for. Those things that, in the verse in Hebrews 1 there, those things that we were hoping for, we have our eyes fixed on that which we're hoping for. And we fail to remember that the testing that he's talking about here is not about the prize. It's not about the thing we're hoping for. It's about our faith. And it's so hard to remember that difference. The substance, that thing that we had been hoping for so strongly, it becomes so important to us. And right about the time, right about the time that we think we're able to reach out and actually take hold of that which we had hoped for, it slips away. slips away from us. When that happens, we turn and we say, but God, I don't understand. I don't understand. Was I wrong all along? Was I wrong? Did I misunderstand from the beginning? Did I take my eyes off of you and put my eyes on that prize, that thing that I was hoping for and value it more than you? I don't know. I don't know, Lord. I thought I was doing my part. 
I thought I was seeking you at every turn. But just when my dream was about to come true, it faded on me. That substance that I hoped for did not become real. When that kind of disappointing result takes place, and it does for each one of us all along our race, when that kind of disappointing thing takes place, we're often brought low. Low. And into a crisis of faith. Thankfully then, God reminds us of this next verse, verse 5, where He tells us, if you lack wisdom, if you don't know what to do, if you've lost sight of what I've been saying to you, because you had your eyes there on that thing that you were hoping for. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of me. Let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. And it will be given to him. He'll not necessarily rebuke us for saying, you took your eyes off of me. That's when it all went wrong for you. He instead will give generously, wisdom generously, and without reproach. God is such a gentle and loving Father. And He's always just a breath away from us. In our crisis of faith, you and I can cry out to Him. And He'll hear our cry. And He'll come to our aid. And His wisdom is good. It's always good. And not only will He give us understanding about what we're to do next, but He'll refresh us so that we can then get on up and get on about the next steps of the race, of the trial that we're in. And we thank the Lord for Him doing that. So a question as we close. Are you right at this moment enduring one of those trials of faith? Has God brought you into one of these circumstances? May I encourage you to not try to avoid the trial. Don't try to avoid the trial. It's God's hand at work, His loving hand at work. And let me encourage you to go ahead and step on into it. Step on into it and trust the Lord Jesus for His help. Count it all joy, my brethren when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let's pray.